Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. Howdy folks, howdy, and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. Before I get into this episode, I want to say thank you to each and every one of you who have become Grass Talk Radio supporters. And I, I think I've covered all of them, each and every one of you. No, actually, it's, it's a few more than one. I think maybe up to five or six now. But let me tell you, you're in, you're in, uh, I am in my deepest gratitude to those of you who have done that. Because when somebody goes and buys Mandolin Masterclass or my Clawhammer banjo video or the play by ear banjo thing, I don't specifically know why you're buying it. Could be, I assume that you want to learn how to play an instrument. And I really appreciate that. But when I see somebody just, you know, throw down five or $10 or something and say, I am a grass talk radio supporter that touches my heart deeply for all the effort that I'm pouring into this thing. It's nice to see a little something come back because that proves it. I mean, download counts are one thing and we did hit the 10,000 mark of the total download count, which I, I talked a little bit about in the last episode. And I, I don't know what it's up to today, probably 10,248 or something like that. And onward and upwards to 20,000. But that's a lot of, pe- that's a lot of people and a lot of downloads and it's a lot of time. Uh, you know, I don't know how many hours total there is now. It's probably pushing 25 or I don't know. It could be getting up to 30 hours if you sat and listened to all the way from episode one up through today. There's a lot of stuff there. And you multiply it by 10,000. And good Lord, that's a lot of hours of me just (laughs) yakking about bluegrass. um, But anyway, today's episode is called Dear John. And I ran this past John. I, I said, hey, John, I got this idea for a podcast do you mind if I, if I use you as an example? And I explained to him what I was going to do. And, and the reason I'm doing this is I think there's a lot of people in right where John is in his music and his playing. I met John at, at little Pete's place down here, Pat's place. They didn't have a mandolin player. So I started showing up with my mandolin and, playing along with these guys and I don't know, three or four months into this in walked uh, this guy with a mandolin and sat down beside me and they all knew him. And, uh, I think that night I was playing the Dobro. So he sat down, he started playing mandolin and after a few minutes, well, we got, we got to talking. He and I got to talking, introduced myself and so on. And, you could see the wheels turning in his mind. And when we, we took a break or when we finished, he was like, Brad Laird, Brad Laird, are you the, are you the same guy that, you know, has that website and does this blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, that's me. And he was blown away by the fact that apparently he had seen some of my stuff on the internet. Maybe he'd run across my site or one of my books or saw something on YouTube. I mean, it's, it wouldn't be that unusual. I mean, there's, I think getting upwards of a couple of million YouTube views on 
if you take all my videos together. Now, look, I'm not saying that, you know, that makes me somebody, but, but to run across somebody who's run into some of my material is not that uncommon, but he was just floored. Here he was in this pizza place in America's Georgia. And there's the dude. This is the guy. It's, it's, it kind of threw him back. He'd just been playing mandolin for two hours sitting right next to me. And uh, anyway, we got talking. He said, I want to take lessons. So I was teaching across the street one night a week uh, at a little, uh, a little company that uh, sells boats on the internet. And, and, and thinking of that reminds me of how many ways there are to feed your family and put food on the table. You know, every time I bump into somebody and I ask them, so, you know, tell me, what do you do? What do you, how do you, what do you do for a living? Sometimes I'm just shocked by the creative ideas that people come up with. Anyway, this particular guy, he sells canoes and uh, pedal boats shaped like swans and John boats and all this kind of stuff uh, through a website. Well, his daughter uh, bought a banjo from me off of Craigslist and one thing led to another and she wanted lessons and I didn't have a place to teach at that time. So I said, well, you know, maybe we could, I could just come by. Doesn't your dad have a place there across from Pat's place? So anyway, I would teach my lessons just inside the front door of their office after they closed. He gave me a key. He's like, just lock up when you're done. And I had three or four students coming in there just one night a week. And uh, John, this mandolin player, uh, who this entire episode is really directed at, was one that came over there and took a few mandolin lessons. I think John took about eight lessons. And, you know, the first lesson starts out with me trying to figure out what the person already knows. Um, and and I had seen him play at, at that little jam session. So I had a basic idea of, you know, what he knew and what he didn't know, and we started. Well, after, you know, six, eight lessons, uh, you know, he's busy at work and this and that. We kind of lost track of each other for six months. Anyway, I ended up um, a year later forming a little band called the Pluck Tones with John. And John was playing mandolin. And another guy played guitar and I was playing bass. Just a little trio, not real, real bluegrassy stuff, but a little touch of bluegrass in there. Anyway, so I'm hanging out with John pretty frequently playing with the pluck tones and I'm always ragging on him. I'm like, John, did you ever learn that tune I showed you? You know, like, do you remember when we were working on Salt Creek? Why don't we play that? Well, I really hadn't learned it yet. I'm like, ah, okay. Okay. So I just keep ragging on John and I said, John, I'm going to send you some of my video lessons to some tunes that I think would be good. You know, and I've sent him a download link to, uh, you know, I remember one of them was Liberty because I'm just trying to, you know, cook up some material that the pluck tones can play. And then at the gigs, I'd say, Hey John, how's that? How's that coming? How's your old Joe Clark coming? Anyway, to make a long story short, a lot of this stuff wasn't happen happening. Um, so it, it got me thinking about John probably represents a lot of people out there who pick up the beginning stuff pretty quick. And I will say he had a background, has a background as a guitar player. He had learned to play the guitar and then he had taken up the mandolin when he kind of got bit by the bluegrass bug 
And I know that feeling, and you probably do too. He was listening to some of the more current bands that are out there today. You know, he didn't have a deep history going way back to the 70s like I did. His first record wasn't a Stanley Brothers or a Bill Monroe record. You know, he's listening on XM radio or something to who's out there now. But nonetheless, he'd got bitten by the bluegrass bug and got a mandolin. So, you know, I, I was always saying, well, John, if you're going to, you're playing that thing great. You sound really good on that thing. But, uh, you know, when you sit out at the jam session, somebody starts playing old Joe Clark, you don't know it. I said, you ought to learn, you know, these 10 basic tunes. And I emailed him a list of 10 songs that the way I put it was any mandolin player who's going to claim to be a bluegrass mandolin player and going to be worth his salt at all will at least know these tunes. You know, let's just start there. And John is great at improvising. I mean, he can make up a solo to anything and it works and it sounds really good, but it's not the tune, you know? And I, what I was trying to get across to him is that there's a certain amount of pride involved in, you know, establishing, establishing yourself and wearing, wearing that sign around your neck that says bluegrass mandolin player. And obviously this could be banjo player, fiddle player, bass player, guitar player, dobro player, anything. You could be talking about jazz. You might be the greatest saxophone improviser that was ever born. But if if you sit in on a jam session and they say, hey, let's play that uh, How High the Moon or Take the A Train, and you don't know it? I mean, you don't even know like the basic... You know, like there's there's these books called the the fake book, and they they travel around in the underground world of the jazz world, where they just have the melody and the chords for all these jazz standards, and I'm making air quotes around those standards. I mean, come on, you know they they don't care how good you can improvise. They they like that, but they also want to know that you that you know what you're improvising on, you know? Can you play Happy Birthday on that thing, that thing you claim to be able to play? Now, look, I'm going to start slicing and dicing on John here. And I called John and I said, hey, consider this um, idea that I have. And do I have your permission to just give you some advice? And let me say something, sidetrack again. Everybody knows about advice. And I'll tell you, as someone who has taught music for a very long time, I've dished out a lot of advice, most of it completely ignored. And I've come to terms with that. I've, I've, I've learned how to deal with the fact that out of a hundred students, one of them might actually turn into a really good musician. I just, you know, that's the way it is. I want you to be that one, you the listener. I don't want you to be the mother 99. So in a minute, I'm going to talk about, in particular, John, give him free advice that he probably doesn't want. But before we do, I want to talk about this, this thing of the, 
the frustrations I have felt as a teacher. Beginners, I don't feel it too much because you take somebody that knows nothing, the tabula rasa, the blank slate, and they walk in and you stick an instrument in their hand and you say, put your fingers here and do this. And they do it. It's not that hard, you know. And they go, wow, I can do this. That sort of teaching, beginner teaching, is kind of fulfilling because you take somebody who can do nothing and you turn them into somebody who can do something. And and that's what keeps the teachers in the world alive and kicking. Just take somebody that can't do anything and turn them into somebody who can do something. I mean, I've had parents, you know, at about the six, eight week mark, ask me after lessons when they're picking up little Johnny and say, um, Mr. Brad, um, when is Johnny going to learn to play a song? <laughs> I learned a long time ago, but one of the things you need to do right off the bat is learn to do something, something real, learn to play happy birthday, learn something so that you can play that because other people, they don't want to hear scales and arpeggios and exercises and all those important things that you need to be doing. But that's not the goal. The goal is to play some songs, play some music, play something that granny likes, you know? So I learned a long time ago to get them playing songs soon. Anyway, once you reach that beginner level where you, you got a couple little things you can do, you're a banjo player and you've learned how to play Boiling Cabbage Down and Cripple Creek, perhaps from my play-by-ear method or from whatever. I'm not going to go into selling my stuff. You know where it is. Go buy it or suggest it to someone else. But once you reach that beginner level, how do you how do you start climbing that ladder into those upper levels? Because I'm just going to tell you and you know this, if you're a beginner, you if you've been playing even a couple of months, you know what I'm saying is true. It is no fun to be a beginner. I mean, it's exciting at first. But it's no fun to, let's say you go to your first bluegrass festival and there's this hot jam and you walk over with your instrument and you realize that you're not very good at it, that you got a long way to go, that you don't know anything. Go back and uh, listen to the episode, See the Elephant. That was me. I've been in them shoes. And in some ways, I still am in those shoes. I can very easily put myself in over my head. It's, it's not that hard to find people that play better than you do. How do you get from that? How do you make progress? Well, one of the things, and John has this, natural ability. You know, you can't sell that. You can't package it. I wish I could. I wish there was some way to sell that. There is a, a small amount of natural ability that will help a person along. You don't necessarily have to have it, but it does help. Number two, time. If you just don't have the time to pour into this, that's going to hurt your ability to move up to the next level. If you can squeeze in 15 minutes a week, that's something, but that ain't going to turn you into Chris Thiele. It just isn't, no matter how much natural ability you have. You got to have some time. And I'll just say time is not that hard to come by if you will look at your situation realistically and say, how much time am I wasting 
throw that cell phone away, get off the internet, and you'll find you've got time to practice a couple hours a week at least. Maybe a couple hours a day. And if you're goofing around in college, you have no excuse. You could be practicing five hours a day if you really wanted to. Natural ability is one thing. Time is something it takes time to do these things. Number three, you need some good information. You can be really smart and really creative and have this natural ability and have talent, but some good information, I don't care how amazing you might be in the ability to plunk on a mandolin, if you walk up to a jam session and they say, let's play Salt Creek. Well, you can't just invent Salt Creek out of your mind. You know, it has to come from somewhere. There is a tune called Salt Creek. And if you have that information, now you might be able to play Salt Creek. But if I just say, hey, play red-haired boy, and you came, you just landed and got off your spaceship from the planet Mars, you're not going to know red-haired boy. So there's a certain amount of information that you need. My business is built around providing that. As you go look at my website, go look at my online store, you'll see I'm giving you that, I'm selling you that piece of the puzzle, information. You do need a certain amount of information. Item four, you got to get out and play with other people. Jam sessions is a start. Little pickings on the front porch is a start. Talking your wife into taking up the guitar, that's a start. Those are all starts. And at the far end of the scale is being a member in a band and listen to some of the episodes I've done about that. And I'm going to continue that in some future episodes. We're going to keep coming back to that thread of how to be in a band. So one natural talent. Yeah, you know, if you got it, great. If you don't, you can work around that. Two, you got to have time. Three, you need information. Four, you need to be playing with other people. Bluegrass is a team sport. Listen to the episode called Play Ball. Five, you need goals. At least one goal. You need a goal. In fact, you probably only need one. And as soon as you accomplish it, do another one. Because if you have five goals, that's like having, you know, it's, I said in an episode, it's like quail hunting. And when the covey rises, you try to shoot at all of them. You're probably going to miss, but if you just pick out one, you got a better chance of hitting it. So you need a goal. Get yourself a goal. Set yourself a goal. Accomplish that goal, then go to the next goal. That's the little climbing the stepladder. One goal, next goal. One goal, reach it. And so on. Don't keep changing goals all the time. And try to have goals that make sense, that progress you towards the thing you want to do. I use the rowing the boat across the ocean to, you know, from New York to London as an example. Make each stroke propel you towards London. You know, don't just stroke, stroke, stroke. Point that boat somewhere and make all the goals fall in line. Now you may drift. There's going to be currents that may drift you off in different directions, but you need a goal, then another goal and another goal. And those goals need to progress along a path. Doesn't mean the path can't change. I've done whole episodes on this. 
Then the sixth thing, you need determination to accomplish something. Where that comes from, I don't know. I think a lot of people, that's the thing they're lacking. It probably springs from belief in yourself. If you do not have belief, I've done an episode on that. If you do not have belief, there's not much I can do for you. There's not much anyone can do for you. There's not much you can do for you. You got to believe it's possible. And the, the simplest way that I know of to achieve that belief is to set a little goal and accomplish it. When you accomplish it, you know, hey, that's, I couldn't do that and now I can. I couldn't play a two-octave C arpeggio on the uh, nose flute. And now I can. And that tells you, oh, I have ability. You begin to believe in yourself. Set little goals. That's what I do as a teacher. I throw something down on the music stand. I show them how to do it. And I try to get them to the point where they can do it. Now, once they can do it, they go, huh, if I could do that, I don't need this guy. I can go off in the world and be a bluegrass mandolin player. And they're right. I used to have this little sign, and I stole this idea from someone else, but I used to have this little sign that was tacked, thumbtacked up on my wall in my house where I taught. And it used to startle people when they would come in for their first lesson. But it kind of set the tone. And the sign said, I cannot teach you how to play. And I wouldn't say anything about it, maybe until the first, you know, second or third lesson, but they keep looking at that. Thinking, what is this guy just admitting he doesn't know anything? Or have I am I wasting my money over here? And eventually it would come up and I would tell him, Look, I can't make you do this. I I can't teach you. You can teach you. I can show you things, I can explain things, but eventually it comes down to you. You're gonna do this with or without me. Might be easier with me, but it's impossible without you. I've tried with my son to sit him down and teach him stuff, you know. I can't teach him how to play a banjo because he doesn't want to play a banjo. But I also, on the other hand, I can't stop him from doing the things that he wants to do. He has taken he has taken to using, I've got this software called Sibelius. And it's a music notation software. It's what I use for creating my standard notation and tablature that goes along with my video lessons. And that's all I've really ever used it for, to get those notes looking good on a page and then to insert that into a book or provide it with a PDF. That's all I've ever used it for. He started playing around with this because he saw me doing this. Well, not too long, he's got an orchestra score up there on the screen. And he's watching YouTube videos of like, I don't know, classical music stuff. And he starts like, I'm going to write a symphony. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. You wouldn't believe this kid. The stuff he has created. He is so fast at transcribing music. He'll, he'll find a PDF of like a Beethoven symphony. And then he will enter it manually into Sibelius, all the different parts, so he can hear it played back. And then he starts writing his own. What I'm saying is... I've just put the stuff in front of him, made it available. I'm not teaching him anything about that. He's teaching me stuff about Sibelius. In fact, I had this little idea not too long ago. 
well, actually 10 years ago, to do a little uh, tune book of Christmas songs, you know, some Christmas songs for mandolin. I thought, well, I might be able to sell that for five or 10 bucks and, you know, and everybody gets that mandolin out from under the tree and they want to play a Christmas song and, you know, anyway, I've had this list of tunes for a while and I got the bright idea. I said, Jackson, how about this? You're really fast at entering in the music. Let me show you these, these songs. You set up the standard notation stuff and put in the lyrics and then I'll create the mandolin tab and possibly change the key. I want to, you know, create something that people can play and I'll add the mandolin chords. Let's work on that together. So we're cranking away on that right now. Um, and hopefully should have that out fairly shortly. Anyway, he made me, I have to split the money with him because he's, he's saving up for a French horn. Anyway, I'm getting way off track, but the point is he's learning so much about this thing he's interested in and he believes he can do it. He doesn't really need a teacher. He's his own teacher. Yes. He could use a guide. I did an episode called Choosing a Guide. A guide is helpful. It's helpful to get a little direction from somebody who's traveled that path that you're heading down. I've sort of uh, forgotten about John here, so let's get back to John. Let me tell you about John. John's the best. Um, let me tell you the good points about John. And John, I'm talking to you. Uh, this is the uh, this is the uh, my observations. My unwanted advice for John. And if you're like John, maybe this is you. And if you're a beginner, this is not you. But perhaps in a year or 18 months, this might be you. Here's what I see, John. You got great rhythm and your chop is amazing. You don't need to work on that. The only thing I would say in your rhythm playing is... Perhaps, you know, bone up a little bit on some chord theory so you can get a little more variety in there. Like one thing, I see you taking the, the big Bill Monroe chop, and you play that great. And then to make it minor, you're taking your first finger and you're trying to stretch it back towards the nut one fret so it makes it minor. And that does work, but explore some of the bar chords, learn some of the bar chords and, you know, go watch my bar chords and seventh chord video, John. And if you beg, maybe I'll send you one for free, John. <laughs> anyway, that's all I'd say about chords. You got a good, you got a good drive and it's happening. But if I threw down a jazz fake book and, you know, it had this, uh, you know, C minor nine, add 13. Can you figure that out? Can you come up with something on a mandolin that'll work with that and imply what they're trying to imply? I'm saying that's, one little thing you could work on. I wouldn't stress over that, though. Another good thing is your right hand, your picking ability is astonishingly good. Tremolo, awesome. Clarity, good. When you're picking, you, you remind me of, like, Doyle Lawson or Bobby Osborne. Very clean, bright. It's very good. So what I'm saying, John, is you've got a good right hand. What you need is some notes to play with that right hand. Because here's what I see. It doesn't matter what song we play, be it a jam session, 
uh, it doesn't matter what we play. Where you're limited is you don't know the stuff. So you're forced to improvise everything you play. Now, there are a few things that you've, you've heard on some Grisman records and stuff that you're, you know, imitating what you've heard, you know, like on the uh, pizza tapes or something. So you, you, you are absorbing some of the licks from other people. But if we played Salt Creek, you'd play a pretty passable break to Salt Creek without knowing how Salt Creek even goes. And what, all, what I'm saying to you, John, is learn Salt Creek. Learn somebody else's version of Salt Creek listen to several of them and get yourself a good solid break to salt Creek and then improvise over it. You know, you're doing it backwards. Uh, and that's, that's amazing because that's going to make your ability to improvise even better because you're naturally improvising and that's a good thing. But what you need is that basis. You need that basis of those standards, those tunes, Learn the get the Skaggs and Rice record and learn some of those kickoffs and turnarounds. It's going to put your fingers in places that you aren't thinking of on your own. What I'm saying is, you don't have to reinvent the whole wheel, but you are, and that's very stressful to you to have to invent something for everything. There's a lot of good stuff that's already been invented by Bill Monroe, you know, Sam Bush, David Grisman. Learn some of that stuff, put it into your own playing, and then do what you want with it. Uh, because I see you playing a lot with two fingers in your lead playing. Index, middle finger. You're working it out. I made the joke at the gig the other night. I said, you ought to learn everything Django Reinhardt ever did because he played everything with two fingers. And that's what you're doing. So you're missing some available. What I'm saying is you could be a much better mandolin player if you would learn to use all four fingers. Not that you don't from time to time, but pick a couple of, of tunes, like maybe those videos that I sent you, like learn nine pound hammer in the key of B. Hey, at the end of the episode for John, I'm going to put a, that track of that solo. It's nine pound hammer in the key of B. I did a video of mandolin, how to play a mandolin solo to nine pound hammer in the key of A and also in the key of B to try to get people to move from that three finger E playing to that four finger closed position playing or three finger closed position. Anyway, you mandolin players might want to check that out. I'll put a link to that lesson in the show notes, but I'm going to close the show out with that break. And I'm talking to you, John, if you learn to play that solo, you're going to learn a hundred other things in the process. You're going to, you're going to learn some new ways of using your hands. That's what I'm saying. So pre-planning a solo. Now, this is sort of another way. That teaches you positions and where to go and kind of forces you into doing some things that aren't naturally just flowing from your own mind. I like what's naturally flowing from your own mind. But there's a lot of material. There's a lot of techniques that have already been figured out by some of the greatest mound players in the world. So learn some of that and then use that natural ability to improvise that you have. And there's no telling what you could do with this stuff. Okay. So one of the ways that you can do that is to pre-plan a solo. One of the things, like if you play it differently every time, if you improvise everything you do, you never have a standard that you can judge 
what you did buy other than you might say, ah, that felt pretty good or boy, that stunk. That might be it. But if you say to yourself, regardless of whose solo you play, whether it's something I wrote or whether you're copying a Bill Monroe thing, whatever, if you say that, that thing, those 16 measures, that's what I'm trying to do when I step up to the mic. I'm going to play from there to there. You can grade yourself on that. You can say, man, I nailed it except for that little part right there. I kind of got off and then toward the end, I, I nailed that ending. Da -da 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 boom. I was killing it because you know what it is you're trying to do. So if you know what you're trying to do, you can say, I did it or I didn't do it. So hopefully you get that, John, and all the rest of you, Johns and Janes, out there. It doesn't mean you have to play what somebody else decided. You can change it along the way, but you need to decide what it is you're going to play. If you want to grow as a musician. Now, that seems like the opposite. I'm always taking people from... They learned how to play boil and cabbage down. Now I'm trying to teach them how to improvise, how to improvise, how to improvise. With John, I'm not doing that. I'm doing it backwards. He already is improvising like crazy. But that's mostly all he's doing. Go back there, go to school, learn those standards. Jazz players, get that fake book out and learn some of those melodies. Learn to play a melody. It kills me to hear somebody sing the old home place. And then the first Somebody plays a break, and I don't hear old home place. I hear a lot of notes that sound good over those chords, but I don't, I'm not hearing old home place or, you know, salty dog. At least hint around at the melody. You know, if you just completely ignore the melody, I mean, that's fine on your second or third break, but learn to play melodies. And the singer just sang it. Play what he sang. Try to sing with your instrument and then embellish that and ultimately free improvise or whatever. But just, I think this is a good principle, especially in the very traditional world of bluegrass music is this, a tune. And I'm talking about instrumentals and you could even say solos to vocal songs a tune is not a chord progression. Red-haired boy is not the chords to red-haired boy. It's, you got it backwards. Red-haired boy is a melody. Albeit maybe improvised and maybe embellished and maybe strayed away from the original if we even know what the original is. But there's a tune called red-haired boy and that comes before the chords. If you learn everything as the chords and you're playing notes that sound good against those chords, you may not be playing Red-Haired Boy. I mean, think of all the songs that use the same chord progressions. How many, how many basic 12-bar blues type songs are there in the bluegrass world? Well, you could play the same break to every one of them. But that's not the tune, you know. If you're playing Florida Blues, try to play Florida Blues, not Bluegrass Stomp. Same chords. You get what I'm saying? So start thinking of, of, of your breaks and certainly instrumentals as they actually have a melody somewhere buried down in there. Learn that melody, play that melody, and then branch out and improvise from there. Okay, last thing I'm going to say to you, John, and you know this, 
there's a certain amount of pride in wearing that label, I'm a bluegrass mandolin player. John, if you and me hop in the car and I say, let's go to bluegrass festival, and we start hanging around a jam, I have absolute confidence that almost anything they play, you'd be able to take a solo on. But I also know somewhere deep down inside, there'd be a bit of shame in that you know you're faking it. That doesn't mean you're not playing great. And it doesn't mean that anybody there, I don't know that anybody would even know you're faking it. Because by faking it, I mean improvising. Let's say, for example, they play, ah, let me think of a tune, Southern Flavor. Let's say somebody kicks off Southern Flavor and you and me are there hanging in the jam. When it comes around to your break, I have absolute confidence that you'll play a really cool break to Southern Flavor. But I'm also pretty sure you won't be playing Southern Flavor. You'll be improvising over the chords to Southern Flavor. And maybe you picked up a little bit of it as it was as other people were playing it. What I'm saying is, go learn Southern Flavor. Bill Monroe wrote it. Go learn his break, or somebody's break. Now you got that buried down deep inside. Now, when they play Southern Flavor, you can play the tune. You can also improvise. Believe me, there's going to be plenty of songs you don't know, but there's a certain amount of pride in knowing that you at least know Sally Gooden, you know Salt Creek, you know Red Haired Boy. I mean, that stuff that comes up over and over and over shouldn't be faking that stuff. You know, um, Cripple Creek is supposed to sound like Cripple Creek. It's not just, you know, so many beats of G followed by one beat of C followed by so many beats of G, etc. I know you understand this, John, and I think maybe it comes down to that thing about time. But my advice to you, John, is pick one tune. Learn, learn one tune. Learn the thing. Learn Red Haired Boy. Learn Liberty. Remember Liberty? Um, learn that thing and then make everybody else play it and just get better and better at it. And your fingers are going to go in new places if you do that. All right. Enough of ragging on John. And John, to you personally, thank you for letting me do this um, public uh, dishing out of advice. You've heard it all before. It was the same stuff I used to tell you at lessons. And if anybody in the audience finds that same sort of advice useful, more power to you. I am here to help. <laughs> I know it may not seem like it at times, but I really do. I want to, you know, that one out of a hundred that actually becomes a really good musician. I'm just shooting to make it two, maybe three out of a hundred. If I do that, I'll feel good. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know it's a little little disjointed. Uh, but I'm going to close out the show with a, a track that was included with a, with an instruction book I did for watch and learn called the mandolin Songbook, And it is simply my break to nine pound hammer in the key of B. And I'm going to begin with, I did a slow and a kind of a medium track. And I have this video for sale on my my site and it basically teaches that the a version of this solo and the b version of this solo like i said i'll put a link in the show notes to this but 
I'm not going to bore you with the entire slow track. I'm just going to play a little bit of the slow track. And when you hear that slow track, what I want you to think of, just imagine that's you. You sitting there playing note by note, very carefully trying to actually play something, not just play whatever. So just picture that's you when you're learning a song. And then, then the second one will be the tune a little more up tempo where you can actually feel the rhythm of it go along. Anyway, if you learn to play nine pound hammer, you mandolin players and you learn it in the key of B, you can just as easily play it in C or C sharp or E or F or any other darn key. So anyway, I hope you hear that in that solo and just, uh, enjoy this. The old, uh, flat iron that I'm playing there is sounding pretty good on this recording. I'm not sure I nailed it perfectly, but I sure like the tone of it. Anyway, y'all have fun, and I'll see you in the next episode. One, and, two, and, one. Nine pound hammer in the key of B. One, two, one. <laughs>